All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Can you see it? Did you know Check when the puck comes right to Pedersen who tries a bank pass for Besser. In with a shot, he scores! A moment's notice. You're listening to Canucks Conversation. Quinn Hughes, the reporter here. Like, I don't, I won't cover the Canucks. Yeah. I cover Quinn Hughes and what he's doing to the Canucks. A member of the Nation Network of Podcasts and delivered by DoorDash. Just wave the guy to get Demko involved. I'm one of the men in Valentine's Day. Wow. We should do a radio show together. <laughs> right on. I want to fist bump you right now. What a Steals, cutting in, shoots, scores! Don't waste all the good stuff on the off-air, let's go.
Hello, Canucks fans, and welcome back to another episode of the Canucks Conversation, brought to you by the great folks at Zephyr Epic. You can use promo code Hockey Season, capital H, capital S, all one word, Hockey Season. That will get you $5 off your order, and our friends at Zephyr Epic also ship free on any order over $50 Canada-wide. I'm... I'm laboring through this intro. Yeah, you really are. But uh, for people who don't know, it's like your fifth attempt uh, on your birthday. I didn't think you were going to start drinking this early on your birthday, Quads. But I didn't. I didn't have any coffee. That's the problem. That is the problem. But they will ship across Canada from Kelowna, BC, to Kensington, PEI. Kensington Ice Rink. Kensington, Prince Edward Island. You played the Kensington Pitch and Putt. I like the Kensington Pitch and Putt. Harden, do you golf? I, I like pitch and putt. Okay. I, I've only actually tried it a couple times. We haven't played, we? No, we haven't. Okay. I've been meaning to. Yeah. We'll get out here soon. There's a good one just up the up the road there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we'll go to Rupert, figure it out. There's yeah. a lot of different good places. Anyways, our friends at Zephyr Epic. Go check them out. Z-E-P-H-Y-R Epic on all platforms. Go follow them. Facebook, Instagram, Twitch, Twitter, Instagram, all that fun stuff. Go follow them. Zephyr Epic. Z-E-P-H-Y-R Epic. We also deliver to you. By the great folks at DoorDash. Ding dong. Use promo code ConvoDD, capital C, capital D's, all one word, ConvoDD. That will get you 25% off and free delivery with your first order with the DoorDash app. Does not get much better than that, folks. My name is David Quadrelli. I'm joined, as always, by the men who built the place, Chris Faber and Harmon Dial, joining us in studio for a very special episode 237 of the Canucks conversation. Why is it special, Chris? Because uh, I ordered DoorDash the other night, and right now they got a deal on DoorDash. 7-Eleven, $25 worth of food, $10 off. That's why it's a special day today. So after you use ConvoDD for the first time, you use that promo that you just mentioned. Uh, I don't know DoorDash. if you can start combining promos here. No, no, here no. And... I'm saying after you do it, you order yourself oh, some okay. Arby's, which I'm sure you can get on board with. In Edmonton, yeah. Yeah. Man, I tried Arby's for the first time. Not a fan. I know. Not a fan. Well, you, I told you the the the, the one item yeah. that's the best there, you did like. You did like that. It, bagged milk was the problem. He was he's pumping up the beef and ched so I much. I did not they like aren't the great. beef and ched. No, but the loaded curly fries, they're excellent. And they're, like I was telling you, you got to get them fresh because they yeah. were soggy. I bet they, those are good fresh. 20 minutes down the road. I liked them. I still like the yeah. loaded curly fries. Those were good. Those were just fine. But it's my birthday. Mm-hmm. My 22nd birthday. Very happy about it. 12th, you mean? <laughs> yes. Can we play the clip? Should we just do it right off the top? Sure. You both get ripped. Well, not really. Harmon got ripped very 14. mildly compared yeah. to me. But anyways, right. uh, the morning guys, our co-workers, so-called co-workers and friends, Mike Halford and Jason Bruff, uh, had a little fun at our my expense. Not even You, you weren't even mentioned. They were talking was, about how you would win a Royal Rumble. Yeah. So that you was got it easy. That's how we'll set it up. It was first talked about who was going to win the 650 Royal Rumble. I, I was named to win it, which, you know, it'd probably come down to me and Justin Morissette, and then I would just do a below-the-belt kick into Justin's bad leg and then flip <laughs> wow. him over the fence if I had to, if it was depending <laughs> what the winner was wow. to get there. Holy cow. That's if I had to win. I'm just saying, I'd, it's you know, anything goes in a Royal Rumble. Uh, but anyways, they ended up moving on to uh, talking about the photo shoots a little bit, and uh, I'll just run the clip. Why, uh, the, oh, by the way, the the, so ropes. all the pictures from Picture Day came out. Yeah. Why was Cudrelli dressed up like Ellen? What was going on there? <laughs> <laughs> what was with all the burgundy? <laughs> what, Is yeah. burgundy the, the, the hot color for the young I, kids I or something know. like that? That's Favors unbelievable. Like, 
That was what, just what, Mike's new car? What burgundy? was going on there? What's that? Is it Mike's new car burgundy? My, my new car is kind of burgundy. Right. It's the color of the year. It looked like, uh, it honestly, and I tweeted this out, it looked like a cross between Step Brothers, that picture where they're mm-hmm. both in their tuxedos, and Anchorman, because they were both wearing burgundy. Yeah. Those guys are funny guys, though. <laughs> they are good. It was like they were. I, you those to, guys get it. They, they, they do. They, 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 they get do. it. They get that it's just like it's about it's about fun, right? Yeah. No. And the, the, I, like I, I really like the both of them. They're super young. That's the hilarious part of all of this. Is one day Faber's not that young. Well, he's younger. Sure. Yeah. Quadrelli's really young. Yeah. They he's, got a bright future in this business. He's only fourteen. Did you know that? Yes, him and him, him and Harm fourteen. That was his grade eight. That was his communion suit he was wearing there. Oh my gosh, too good. That was, oh, that was funny. And and the funniest part, and I explained this to both of you. My brother has called me Ellen for a while now since I've grown out my hair. He has made the comparison to Ellen DeGeneres a few times. So I just sent him that clip, and I'm sure he's gonna get a kick out of it on your birthday here you know i don't know maybe this is what my friend group does is you post old embarrassing photos of the people so i've got some old embarrassing photos of you quads some mirror selfies that i've been saving up for a while as well as i have a picture from the first time that you and i went to uh pasta amore really yeah i gotta pick you look <laughs> it's funny you you do still look young you look even younger in this picture. Can I uh, see this would photo? You, how old would you be? 19? Probably the, the first, first time, time we went. I went? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I would have been 19. It would have been 19 at the time, which is a have? Do you have the photo? Yep. Yeah, you got to post photo. that on Twitter. That's what I said. I'm gonna, that's what I'm going to end that. up doing. I got to see that. Also, I just got a text from Chris Gear. He's bringing us beer. <laughs> Chris Beer with the gear? Yeah. Chris, Chris Wait, Gear with the beer. Mix that up. Chris yep. Gear is bringing us beer. Yeah. Perks of not working for the Canucks anymore. You can bring us beer. I'll take the beer. The funny part is, and I, I'm sure people kind of put this together, but we had never even spoken to Chris Gear before he joined Nation Network. Now that he's part of our company, though, we're like friends with him. I've spoken to Chris Gear before about uh, oh, certain yeah. things legally. <laughs> yeah, he was... When he was the <laughs> when he was in charge of legal things for the Vancouver Canucks, I spoke to him. Never as like a friend, really. But we talked to him yeah, about. He threatened you as a lawyer. Yeah, as a lawyer, he threatened. Threatened. I wouldn't say threatened. Well, no. maybe it is no, the right he was word. Nice, but he said. Stop this immediately. Yeah. And didn't take legal action. <laughs> that was, yeah, it wasn't the threat. Wait, what was, was that for? So we did a sponsored segment. Um, and basically, it was on Twitter. Chris used to do a sponsored segment. Oh, the segment. Canucks first thing? Yes. yes. And he he messaged Chris, what was it, LinkedIn? Yeah. Damn, we should have asked Chris about that when we had him on the show. What's it like uh, messaging Chris Faber to tell him that he can't post certain tweets on Twitter anymore? But yeah, it was... Uh, Stop this at once. Yeah, I think the problem was because when we brought Parallel on as the sponsor for yep. Canucks first, that's where things got a little muddied in the waters. And I seen uh, Andy had a tweet about it yesterday. He put the pieces together Yeah, uh, from our last episode there on Thursday. Yeah, we talked about this on Thursday, too. <laughs> Chris Gear uh, took legal action against Canucks Convo before joining the company that we're partnered with, which is a very funny full circle uh, series of events. So Absolutely let's is. get... Let's get into some Canucks talk. That's enough talk about my birthday. Hold on. No, for, first thing about your birthday. I mean, okay, so you've been, you got out of your car. You're playing 22 by Taylor Swift. How many times have you heard that song today? Because today you're 22 years old. It's about 10 a.m. right now. This will be posted Saturday morning. It's 10 a.m. on Friday. I've heard it six times. Listen to okay. it once when I woke up. Uh, Listen to it three times in the car. Uh, 
No, you know what? I listened to it twice at home, three times in the car, once when I got out of the car. Um, and that was that. So back in the day, when I turned 22, way back in, oh, geez, it would have been 2000 and something. Yeah, Harm and I would have been 14. Yeah, you guys were very young at the time. When I turned 22, we still had CDs back in the day because not all of your big fancy sound systems had an aux cord back in these days. The, the newer ones were, lots of the newer, but I had an older one that was big old speakers, so we had CDs. I had one CD that was just the song Champagne Showers by LMFAO, nonstop, 14 times on a CD. Then I had another CD that I burned for my 22nd birthday, which was just 14 songs of 22 by Taylor Swift in a row. People didn't like those CDs at all because they would get tired of the song in the middle of a party and they'd be trying to press next and it just kept giving them the exact <laughs> same song. And people did not like that. Especially when like you're, you're having a couple drinks and champagne showers just keeps replaying and replaying. People that yeah, people did not like that. I need to get get my hands on those CDs for my birthday. Yeah, well, you guys don't need CDs now. You got you get your fancy Bluetooth and your aux cords, wireless earbuds, wireless earbuds. That's what I'm, yeah, ear. What are they? Earpods, AirPods, earpods. Whatever you have stuff. Don't act like you don't know what they well, are. Well, I know what they are. I'm just saying they're <laughs> fancy words. I can't remember what they're called half the time. You know All what right. I almost bought for you because I went to Superstore before I came here, picked up a bunch of energy drinks and some Gatorades and vitamin water, so I can. You know, I'm old. I can't be hungover tomorrow morning. I got stuff to do on Saturday, so. Uh, and we're going out drinking tonight. I'm going to have some drinks. So I went to Superstore this morning and I was walking by and there was a balloon section for birthday stuff. And I was going to come back and get it. I forgot to get it, but and I didn't want to carry it around the whole time. But it was an Avengers uh, happy birthday balloon. Wow. And I forgot. Maybe I'll pick it up on the way out for your dinner tonight. The, please don't. Where am I going to put that? I mean, we you can, can hold it. it there, right? You can hold it the whole time, the whole night. Yeah, tie it to me. Yeah. Everybody will know where I am when I'm walking there you around. Go. <laughs> All right. Let's get to some Canucks talk. Uh, we broke our rule. That uh, reviewer is not going to be very happy that we broke our 10-minute rule. We are at the 12-minute mark. Oh, Trevor is going to be pissed. Trevor is going to be very pissed. So we're going to get going Another two-star review coming in. Yeah. Stop talking about yourselves. I don't care that it's your birthday. Yeah. That's what's going to come in. All right. Harmon, Faber and I talked about it the other day on the last podcast we did. Cami Granato hired by the Vancouver Canucks. You had a little tidbit when I asked you if you wanted to say anything about her, anything you knew. It was very similar to what Chris said, so go ahead. Yeah, it's just funny because most of the times when you see scouts on press row, whether it's with the Canucks or down in Abbotsford, the couple times I've been there, it's funny because most scouts don't really do anything. And it's just like, for that reason alone, Cami stands out because no matter how many times she's seen these guys in person because of the fact that she's from the lower mainland she's always diligently working and that stands out because most scouts don't do that i remember last time i was in abbotsford i think there were a handful of scouts at uh there for puck drop and i was and i was sitting um next to cammy and this was actually ironically the day jim benning got fired but um so four other scouts they're there for the start of the game. Five minutes into the game, I don't even know where they are. I didn't see them again for the rest of the game. And even for the first five minutes when, when they were there, they were just like chatting amongst each other. Um, no you know notepads the, the, out. The thing that's always said, and I hear this at every single Avatar game, it's like, oh, well, which road did you take coming in here? Like, what was, that was the drive for you coming in. All the scouts, they say the exact same thing. <laughs> like, oh, well, how long? Well, yeah, you got to take this road instead of this time. It's like, oh, my gosh. 
yeah, it's like no computers, no notepads. I'm like, why are you here? You're like not even watching the game. And when like, I go to an Abbotsford game, yeah, pretty much. You haven't been to an Abbotsford game. It's honestly like I I would look around and I'd be like, I can't tell if these guys are here to scout or these guys are here to just like socialize, say they showed up and then leave. Well, it's what I told Quads in the last episode. So it's it's a retirement job for some of these guys, but some people are actually putting in work. And Cam yeah. is one of the examples. I said uh, Steve Korea as well. Steve yeah. Korea is another guy you always see. Doing yeah, that. and you know, at that game, I was able to, because I sat next to Cam, I was able to sort of pick her brain a little bit and, and get some um, sort of, I, I don't know if the right word is knowledge or wisdom, but I sort of just asked her, like, what do you look for in players when you're scouting in a, in a situation like this? And she sort of explained, um, for instance, what her thought process is behind, you know, evaluating defensemen and what kind of traits she looks for and how her system is for evaluating these players. And you could tell that it was quite intricate. Um, there were sort of layers to the way she looks at the game and her answer kind of, you know, it was genuinely sort of insightful for me. And it was something where, you know, obviously for us as media members, our job is is different. We're not scouts, but we sort of evaluate players and, and have takes as well. So it was really interesting where I wanted to sort of pick her brain. And she, you could tell that this is someone who has so much knowledge, so much experience and just gets it. And so for that reason, you know, this isn't any sort of any typical scout that's getting this type of AGM role now. This is someone who thoroughly understands the game in and out, is diligent. And, uh, you know, for someone like Cami Granato, she could easily, like a lot of these other scouts, because of, you know, the fact that she's a Hall of Famer, she doesn't have to be the hardest working scout on press row. And yet she is. So she's, in my books, fully deserved this kind of opportunity with the Canucks. Yeah, and I think the interesting thing, and i got a clip here, Quads, if you want to fire me up, just hearing from Cam Granato speak about being in the area, this being basically like her home base for where she was doing a lot of her scouting. So she got an opportunity to watch the Vancouver Canucks quite a bit. So uh, let's just hear from Cam Granato speaking on that. Well, the nice part is I, 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 I'm walking in knowing a lot about the team because I did scout the, uh, sorry, the Canucks a lot um, over the over the course of time with the Kraken and the Pacific Division was was one I honed in on and that's and I did a lot of my scouting here because I do live here so uh, that helps a lot. Cami also talked about and that was a good clip, Chris. But in that same press conference, Cami talked about um, how she wrote thousands of reports. She talked about how the job with Seattle because I know there there is even people in the comment section of the articles that we're writing about her um that i've noticed people are saying stuff like well if she's just a head scout how is she prepared for this job and obviously the playing career and all that goes into it as well um but what she said basically about how that role uh prepared her she said it helped tremendously just kind of immersing myself in learning the league learning the players building a database for seattle watching players over and over writing thousands of reports sitting in on scouting meetings sitting in with the management team listening learning all of that prepped me for this job so again kind of goes back to what you're saying about actually writing reports and you know having that evaluative process uh it's something a lot of scouts don't have it's also different when you're doing it for an expansion startup where you have no base, you have zero intel going into that expansion draft. This isn't like some other organization where, 
uh, let's say Anaheim or something where let's say Cammy would have hypothetically joined them as a scout instead of Seattle where Anaheim would have already had a book on pretty much every team around the league and, and had reports on pretty much every player going to Seattle. They started from scratch. So it's a lot more building things from the ground up and creating a foundation and uh, trying to evaluate not just not not just a specific region or a specific need like hey our, our team needs a, a right shot defenseman so let's really spend some time looking for right shot defenseman this is no we got to build an organization from scratch we need every type of player uh, uh, imaginable so it's i think her role functioned a lot differently than a typical scout would for any organization and the last thing that I want to mention before we move on from the Cami Granado talk here is, you know, there are some people who are saying, well, she only did it for half a year. No, Cami's been at this for three years. Like, we've seen her. She's been at this for three years. Like, Seattle had scouts long before they actually had the expansion draft. So that's the last thing I wanted to mention. Any closing remarks before we move on here? I think just an interesting point of view into the world of hockey as well as what Cami Granado's going to bring. It's, it's a very different look than having... Jim Benning and John Weisbrod talk about hockey compared to what the conversation you could have with Cammy Granado is. And I know Harms talked to her at Abbotsford Games. I've spoken with her at Abbotsford Games because she's been out there scouting and putting in a lot of work. And like you said, this is a different a different type of scout than just some other guy that we see out there in the scouts row who you said maybe has a notepad, maybe has taken a few things about certain players, but mostly is just there for you know, the $18 media food pass that we get out there in Abbotsford, which you don't get in, in Vancouver. By the way, they treat us nice. Oh, in Abbotsford, you get uh, basically get one of those hot dogs for free, which is a great deal. That's why I think they're they're so full of NHL scouts out there in Abbey. But no, I mean, like this is a, a mind that's going to help into the conversation. I said it on the last episode. It's going to be another great addition to how the conversations are going to be had in the front office here. And this is kind of shifting away from the Cami Granado talk, but also kind of ties in nicely because we're going to talk about Jim Rutherford's vision here because I wrote about this a little bit. Jim Rutherford's vision for the Canucks. This is something we've heard. Rachel Dory gets hired. Emily Castonguay gets hired. We're hearing all this stuff and even Patrick Alvin and Derek Clancy as well. We heard it from. We're hearing all of them say, you know, Jim has a vision here and we're all really excited about it. And that's something you just did not hear with the past management regime. You, you just didn't. It wasn't a thing that was said and Everybody seems to be buying into this vision. And again, for someone like Rachel, who had multiple teams uh, offering her positions and, you know, Elliot Friedman in 32 Thoughts wrote today that Cammy was also fielding other uh, fielding another offer. I don't know if it was multiple, but she was fielding another offer. So for these people to choose this organization and then cite Jim Rutherford's vision as a big reason, how much of a change in, I guess, communication is that and change of scenery is that for this organization? It's it's a significant change because <clears throat> I think we've talked about this before where with the last management group, there was a concentration of power at the top with Jim and John. And the thing, the thing with this new management group is they've made it clear that we value everyone's opinions. And so from that perspective, it's just anywhere you go, anywhere you work, just doesn't matter what line of work you're in. You're, you want your work to genuinely matter. You don't want to spend a lot of time working on something, knowing, just like grinding your tail off, knowing that your boss probably isn't going to pay attention to it. Or, you know, he, he might glance at it, but ultimately it's very, very unlikely to sway his his line of thinking. And I think that's 
a trait too where with Patrick Alvin when he got hired as well, it was interesting to see him speak about, you know, he was asked about, he's got a scouting background. What's the key to scouting? And the first thing he talked about was open-mindedness and understanding how the game's evolved and making sure that you have a growth mindset. To me, that's a level of showing, again, evolution where, you aren't you aren't stuck in one way with the with your kind of thoughts and beliefs on the game. You're you're again open minded, and I don't know if that was necessarily the case again with the last regime uh, as much. And so I think that's that's something that uh, works well here. And then the other thing too is the reason this situation I think will work well too is because obviously Rutherford and Alvin are going to source as many opinions and thoughts and perspectives as possible. But the thing about Rutherford and Alvin is they're both very decisive people. And so that creates a nice balance where you obviously don't want to go too far in the other direction where you've got too many cooks in the kitchen. But that's where Rutherford and Alvin are built to where they can absorb all the information from all these different angles and sources. And then they'll have enough confidence in their own judgment to make an informed decision. And I think that's the perfect balance because, again, there is in some situations not with this Vancouver front office, but sometimes, yeah, you, you can end up too far down the other path where you have too many voices and it's hard to make a decision, but that's where Rutherford and Alvin are decisive. And I think that matters too. And the exact quote from Cammy is I'm a team player. I grew up in a team environment right from the start. And that was one of the first things Jim talked about was how collaborative we'll all be, how all voices will be heard on any leadership or hockey ops things that come up. I really love that idea that we can all work together just on a flat level together and share our ideas. And that's really, really exciting. And I think a super healthy way to run a team. Yeah, I think that that last little bit of the quote there is really interesting because I feel like when there was, I guess, points of of contact in conversations that were different views from the front office that the Vancouver Canucks had of the past, it felt like we heard about it in media. Like you heard about what disagreements were had, whether it be the Trevor Linden situation about wanting to rebuild longer, certain things about Judd Brackett and the scouting staff. I'm going to be curious to see how Jim Rutherford can keep disagreements in house, because it felt like a lot of the big disagreements that we heard about from the past regime made it into the public. And we talked about it a lot. I think there's going to be a lot of disagreements with a lot of these new voices that are coming in. I'm just curious to see how Jim Rutherford is able to kind of manage the disagreements to make the final decisions instead of the disagreements being the big stories that come out of it. Like we saw in the past regime with, like I said, Lyndon Brackett, you know, I don't know if you guys can think of any other big disagreements that came out public, but those are the two big ones that stick out to me. I wonder how having a guy like Jim Rutherford, who's obviously been around the game for a long time, I think he's the type of guy that would know how to manage these and keep them in-house, even if there is a lot of disagreements going on. And the final thing I'll say about this before we close on Rutherford's vision and everything like that and get to the actual players here is it seems like ownership has actually finally taken a hands-off approach. And I think that's all people wanted for a long time. I I think you almost need to give Aquilini some credit here for him really letting the Canucks change over this front office and yeah. do it in a real way. Yeah. Like, you know what they had to, they had to fire some people. They had to bring in a lot of new people, but it feels like Rutherford is not having any sort of leash on what his ability to bring people into this organization has been. So you do have to give, I think Aquilini some props here for, for opening up the, the bank account to whatever Rutherford oh. wants to do. You think about it this way. You think of how, 
how well regarded Rutherford is, how well regarded these moves that he's making are in the front office, how forward thinking everybody is right now. We went from Jim Benning in December to this. Like, let that sink in. You remember the last press conference Jim Benning gave compared to what we're hearing from Rutherford every time he opens his mouth? Unbelievable change. Has Rutherford put his foot in his mouth once yet? I don't think so. I think even like seeing Rutherford have the thing where I forget what the exact quote was, but when he was up there with Aquilini, when he was announced and he was like, oh, the owner probably doesn't want me to say this. And then like him having just like the confidence, uh, the confidence confidence. to be like the the confidence in his own thought as like, yeah, he's been around the game long enough where he knows he and he's given to everyone straight. I think that's what we kind of heard before Rutherford came in here was like, you know, you kind of mentioned putting your foot in your mouth. Apparently the only time Rutherford some reason puts his foot in his mouth is when he's like too honest and gives it to you too real. Yeah. But at least him being too honest doesn't usually result in tampering fines. Sure. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I think that's, that honestly was the worst part about the last regime was like so many promises that we all knew when the promises were made, there was no chance that they were really going to come to. There was like a small chance well, every year. It felt like it felt like the Canucks playoff odds this year. Like all the promises that Jim Benning made, they all felt like they had like a 5% chance of coming true. And we all knew that. I mean, After like three or four years, everybody knew that. The thing that you were seeing right now is, is you look at what Rutherford says about this current team. And he always is saying, he's like, we don't play fast enough. We're not good enough. We're a cap strap team, not in the playoffs. That is not good. We need, to, we need to do this. We need to do that. We need to work at playing Stanley Cup. If Jim Benning was still the GM, he'd say, this is great. See how many wins we're getting? Like, yeah. it's, time to, it's time to go out and get myself another Tyler Toffoli. That's what we would be hearing right now. Like, that's what this market would be being fed right now if Jim Benning was still the general manager of this team. So, again, I know a lot of fans are very glad that he's out. Makes sense. That's so mean. I feel bad saying that, like, out loud. That, you know, like, I wonder what Jim Benning's doing sometimes when I say stuff like that. Uh, he's got enough money. He's probably on a beautiful Pretty vacation good. right he's now. Got lots of millions of he's dollars. He's good. I still feel bad because he, he was always a nice guy. I know. He was. Yeah. I feel bad saying stuff like that. But the thing is... You know, I was I always thought he was a little bit in over his head, and I think especially toward the end, it became very apparent. It's still just like you look at the Vancouver Canucks and they're a five hundred team still. Yeah. You can't sell the to me that forty eight games in a season a five hundred team needs to be all out for the playoffs when they have the the clear road to really quickly rebuild this team. And like to come back, maybe not next year stronger, but the year after that is like the year that you want to look at it. And unfortunately, yeah, it's going to be going to be tough. It's, it's, gonna, be it's still, yeah, that's the thing. It's going to be tough. It's going to take tough moves to get you back into a team that isn't competitive for a playoff spot, but is competitive for a Stanley Cup. There's tough moves that need to be had. You can get yourself to be competitive for a playoff spot. Anybody can. The Montreal Canadiens, how bad they are this year, they could be competitive for a playoff spot next year if things fall into place and maybe they make a move or two. Like any team can be competitive for a playoff spot, but I think we're, you know, people that follow this team don't want just that. You know, we've had just that in the past. We haven't had a Stanley Cup in the past. That's what everyone wants moving forward. That's the thing that you should be going for if you're a Canucks fan. And if it takes some pain to get there, so be it. Because that's the way it's going to be. It's going to be painful before you win a Stanley Cup. And the road that Jim Benning and, and the, the regime that was before this brought us down, it, it's going to be tough because of where they've put this team and this organization with everything around it. So it's going to be a tough road. But you know what? Like There are some bright things that are happening right now for this Canucks team. I've been really happy with how 
the front office is looking. And I think I'm excited to see what happens moving forward here anyways. Yeah, likewise. Okay, we'll cut to break. On the other side, we will talk about Jack Rathbone, Luke Shen, and Harmon's got a Pod Colson comparison for us. So keep it locked, keep it loaded on Canucks Conversation. And before we go any further into the episode, want to give a shout out to Parallel 49 Brewing. You guys can find Parallel 49 Beer all across BC and Alberta. And right now we want to give a quick shout out to the Unparalleled Pack featuring four of the P49 favorites. The Trash Panda, the Filthy Dirty, the Jerkface 9000, and the Hillbilly Ninja. My favorite of the four there, the Jerkface 9000, the Pink Can. Something good about those cans there at Parallel 49. So go out and try them. You can find them in most liquor stores across BC and Alberta. And a massive thank you to our sponsor, Parallel 49 Brewing Company, and all of our sponsors here at the Canucks Conversation Podcast. If you'd like to advertise with us, folks, send us a message on Twitter, Instagram, any of... uh, And do it quick. Do it quick. We got March. We got March. People are coming in in March. Yeah, we're pretty excited. Yeah, excited for the new sponsors in March. Tried them out a little bit, too. Yeah, yes. I know you. Well, we'll touch on it. I think we, we got to once we actually okay. confirm it. We've had some products here. We've had here. some products sent to us and we really enjoyed it. We did enjoy it. Yeah, it was actually so good. It I was. really <laughs> hope we worked something out with them because it was so good. At first, I was like, this is a funny company like this. this yeah, I, was idea. Like, I was like, oh, I've, I, I had never had them before. The yeah. product I, I have and like, I hated them. But the fresh ones. Oh, my oh. gosh. It, All right. And that's anyways. The yeah. OK. Yeah. We'll, we'll talk about it once we actually land the sponsor. We're hoping to uh, get to work with them. It was a lot of fun. Anyways. Uh, we want to talk about Jack Rathbone a bit. Uh, we'll try not to exhaust this conversation too much, but Jack Rathbone, you said he defended really well oh, in man. Abbotsford. He was so good the other night, defensively, offensively. Like the five point night, that's what everyone saw on Twitter. Everyone got all excited, obviously, and you should. Five points from a defenseman. That's, uh, you know, I was talking on the broadcast as I did the, the game on Wednesday. I don't think you're going to see a defenseman surpass that for a long time. That's going to be a record that I expect to see stand out there in Abbotsford for. A handful of years, at least, unless Jack's able to beat it himself. But the way that he played on Wednesday, there was a couple times, at least two times, where two-on-ones went back and forth his way while they were on the power play. And both times, there was like a saucer pass attempt, and Jack just smacks the puck out of midair, completely shuts down a two-on-one. One, he was like diving onto his stomach and then still lifted a stick up and blocked the saucer pass out of the air. Defensively around the net, he looked strong. He was pushing guys in the corner. You want him to improve defensively. He wanted to talk about improving defensively after that five-point night that he put up, and he looked great on Wednesday. And that's the thing he's really focused on. Like Even in the post-game, talking to him on Monday, all he wanted to talk about was like improving his defensive game. And you could really see a good game from him on Wednesday night, through and through, uh, in a big shutout for Spencer Martin as they won 5 nothing. And as, as, as I said on the broadcast real loud, bagels, Trent. They got bagels the next day. The big shutout. Spencer Martin looked great as well, but Jack Rathbone's defense—it was impressive on Wednesday night. So, still a long ways to go. I don't think that one game is going to be the ticket to the NHL for him, but this is something that he's going to continue to work on. But it's a really good showing on Wednesday night. I ask you this: Was he playing like a guy who wants to be in the NHL? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, even like talking with some of the guys. Um, I guess back when we could actually be like face to face with him, I was asking about what it was like having Jack Rathbone as the point man on the power play. Whether you know whether it was whoever I was talking to it was the Dries, DiGiuseppe, uh, Rempel, all the guys that were basically getting all the power play time, just saying like how different it is for the AHL guys to have a guy like Jack Rathbone at the point. 
uh, because he's able to receive every pass and quickly turn it into a spot where he can t- get a shot off. And we saw him do that on Wednesday for his one point. He receives a puck on the backhand, walks into the center ice a little bit, fires a shot on net. Phil DiGiuseppe's right there to clean up the, the garbage and gets a goal himself. And uh, Rathbone just, yeah, he looks, when he's doing the things that we all know that he's good at, like possessing the puck in the offensive zone, making the first pass out, skating it through the neutral zone, gaining the offensive zone even by himself, he does them all at such a high level, but there are times I think you see him defensively and you're saying, okay, this is the reason why he's not in the NHL because it's not every game where he looks really good defensively, even against AHL competition. There are games where his defense doesn't look great. And that's where you can see that. Yes, there are, there are a lot of things that are definitely NHL ready, but there are certain things that are going to really hurt him at the NHL level. And and he's working on those things. That's why he's down in the AHL, not up in the NHL because there are things that he needs to work on. And, he is working on them at the AHL level right now. And it was, you know, a good sign on Wednesday night where it was one of those games where consistently throughout his defense was impressive. Interesting. I'm still on the call at Rathbone camp. I, I don't think he could be any worse than Brad Hunt. But here's the thing. You have to weigh the conversation and decision with Rathbone isn't just, and I've mentioned this before, it isn't just is Jack Rathbone one of your, one of your best six defensemen for this season. It's you're right, you're right. what's best for his long-term development. And again, like as I've kind of said before, I don't know what the answer is because again, I was kind of saying even when we had this conversation earlier and it was about let's get Rathbone in as soon as possible, I said, well, hold on, why don't, you know, there's also the option of him just building a ton of confidence down in Abbotsford and that's kind of what he's been able to do so far. Um, imagine what a five point night and then playing lockdown defense does for your confidence when you do eventually go up, go back up to the NHL, especially in a year or in a couple of years where he, he's barely played games and where he's been up and down when he started the season in the NHL. So I think eventually we're going to have to see him pretty soon, but uh, I'm curious to see just how much longer it, it takes uh, for him to get to Vancouver. And, and I'm with you, Harm. I think that the confidence is probably more hurt than his defensive game is. I mean, look at the end when he was in the NHL, what was his on ice shooting percentage? Like 2%. Oh, it was ridiculous. It was the low. lowest on the Vancouver Canucks when he left. So there was no confidence because no puck was going in when Jack Rathman was on the ice. I think it was one goal yeah. when he was on the ice for however many games he played this year. One goal went in with an on ice percentage shooting percentage of 2%. So I think that yes, his defensive game needs to be improved. But after that stint in the NHL that Rathbone just got no luck and the team sucked, like, let's not forget, Rathbone has not been able to play under Bruce Boudreaux and this team that's playing above 500 hockey. He was on a really bad team that was one of the worst in the NHL, bottom five for a lot of their time. That's the team that Jack Rathbone was playing on. Now he's down to the HL. I think that confidence is just as important as him working on his defensive game right now. And I think you mentioned it, five-point night, Really good defensive game on Wednesday. The confidence is really growing with this kid. And he's playing 20-plus minutes a night, you know, 23, 24 minutes a night every night now. Oh, now it's for him being trusted as the top-pairing guy. The other thing I want to bring up from watching Rathbone play, I don't know what this, why exactly this is happening, but he's always playing with a left-shot partner, which is just, I don't know. It's it's something strange to me. Like, I I would have thought that he would be playing with Madison Bowie. He would be playing with basically the top right D guy. You know, when Noah Juleson's down there playing with Noah Juleson. Um, I I don't know exactly what it is. Trent Cole, when I asked him about it, said that it was, he just kind of wants to keep him with the same type of players that he's been playing with um, and kind of build some chemistry because I guess Bowie uh, and Sautner have spent a lot of time together as well. Is it his partner who usually plays on the right side then? 
Yeah, so Rafa oh, okay. was playing on the left, but oh, he's okay. playing with a left right. shot guy. Devontae Stevens right now was his partner uh, who's playing the right side. I just found it a little curious. It's um, you know, it's kind of the opposite of what we've seen at the NHL where we're seeing a right shot guy like Burroughs play the left side. So uh, just a little curious about that. And when I asked about it, Cole just said that it was just trying to keep him with the same guy that he's been playing with for a while. So uh, playing with Stevens right now as a partner, but we'll see what happens when some things shake down and also could be a really big addition. Uh, and I guess we can probably find out. Jeez. And I guess we'll, f- we'll know by the time this podcast out, uh, if Dowling has been added to the AHL, he'd be a guy who was probably going to really help that Abbotsford team when he gets down there. Cause he's sent on waivers, uh, Thursday. Yeah. And when it comes to other potential, like we're talking about Rathbone and, and how close is he to the, uh, NHL? I think we're very close guys to the point of the season where, you need to take stock of what you have and what you don't have in certain guys. Like at the end of last season, when the Canucks were able to bring up Cole in and they were able to kind of see him play and be like, okay, yeah, this guy's probably not a player. Didn't protect him in the Seattle expansion draft. Uh, And so I think we're approaching that type of um, point now. And I think there is a certain emphasis too with, uh, with it kind of being time sensitive and potentially affecting other decisions. And I'm talking specifically about guys like Will Lockwood and I know Faber, you um, have been beating the Spencer Martin drum of, look, the Canucks at this point, I mean, we, we saw how they played against the Islanders and that's just one game, but I just don't see a miracle run. Um, and it's not because the Canucks haven't been good enough under Boudreaux. It's just the first 25 games that dug themselves way too deep a hole. And to me, it's I, I just don't think the playoffs are a realistic possibility anymore. Yes, it's it, it, they've technically still got a chance, but for practical reasons, I think the risk to reward now you've got to start to prioritize some of these long term decisions. And it matters with a guy like Will Lockwood because you've got to make a decision on Tyler Mott of whether to re, or whether to resign him or flip him at the deadline. And he's the type of piece that could net a decent return. And if you have an internal guy like Will Lockwood, look, Will Lockwood's not going to, on his own, replace Tyler Mott next season. But if you think you have an NHL player in Will Lockwood and you look at the strides that Matthew Highmore has been able to make, well, then it's a lot easier to make that decision to, okay, maybe we have replace internal replacements for Mott and we can deal him and bring in some assets. And even with Spencer Martin, look, we know whatever plays out with Halak, whether he gets traded or not, He's got. He's an expiring contract. The Canucks don't have a backup signed for next season. Maybe Spencer Martin's that guy. And we've talked about this before. But you're only going to know that, and if you if you've given Martin an extended run, and so I think both those guys, the Canucks have to try and get a look at uh, sooner rather than later, especially with Lockwood. I think that's easier to do logistically because with Halak again, no move, what's going to happen there. And, and can you deal him and deal him? And if you can't, would you be able to carry three goalies on the roster? That's a little bit more complicated. So you may need more time uh, to really integrate Martin, but Lockwood, at least I think at some point here, maybe not right away because they're still technically in it, but I, I want to see Lockwood soon because that, again, he's the sort, sort of player where his projection affects um, potentially what you do with a Tyler Mott. Yeah, and again, like we talk about these, this kind of, you need to plan for the future. You need to be retooling and you need to be building a team that's going to win the cup. Resigning Tyler Mott, does it get you that much closer? Again, like I've seen it thrown around. Okay, trade him at the deadline and then try to sign him in the offseason if that's something you want to do. That just doesn't happen too much in the sport of hockey. It's just not too common, but it is a possibility. Like we know he likes Vancouver, but... 
Uh, again, like that's a move, like you just said, that's a move that you need to do if you want to be retooling toward the future. You need to be at least looking at moving Tyler Martin, like you said, calling up a Will Lockwood. And you've seen Will Lockwood the most. Do you have anything you wanted to add on him? Yeah, I mean, still, basically what everyone thinks they know about Will Lockwood is what he's still doing. He's still ultra-aggressive on the forecheck. He still skates with a ton of pace. Still probably has some things to kind of reel in with being able to have his hands keep up with his feet. I think that's the big thing, but he's still throwing big hits, still gets in guys' faces. I think that might be the thing this year that I've noticed with Will compared to last year is, you know what, and it's actually really similar to what you saw in Cole Lind's game, where Cole Lind, his first year in the AHL, his first full season in the AHL, wasn't really able to get like emotionally into games like he did so well in the WHL level where everybody hated playing Cole in the WHL because he would score and he would be able to fight any guy and be able to kind of stick up for himself. Will Lockwood this year is doing a lot of similar things like Cole did in his second year in the HL where there's some confidence there. He's willing to kind of bring that part and add that to his game to be a guy who aggravates you to play against because he's quick on you. He's going to land every hit. He's going to finish every check. He's going to throw a little bit extra on a certain checks. And I think that pisses a lot of guys off in the AHL level. And yeah, I mean, Lockwood's now a, a guy who's securely in the top six in the AHL, uh, getting a really good opportunity to play on some lines that just absolutely fly out there together. Uh, so yeah, I think that Lockwood's a guy that you got to see soon. I, I still would love to see what Sheldon Rempel looks like speed wise in the NHL because Rempel just looks amazing in the AHL. Like his his vision and playmaking is the best on the team by a mile. It's just every player that plays with Sheldon Rempel. That's why Sheldon Dries has so many goals this year. He's played a lot of time with Sheldon Rempel. Same with Phil DiGiuseppe's getting the opportunity to play with Rempel a lot. Rempel got injured uh, in the scrum. I don't know if you guys saw Boku oh. Imama with that two-handed right, slash yeah. on Madison Bowie after he scored a goal. Uh, actually, two players on the outside Canucks got injured in that like little fight after that uh, Justin Bailey and Sheldon Rempel. So we don't know what their status is moving forward. Um, but Rempel, I think needs to get a look. Phil DiGiuseppe, I think needs to get a look, but harm. You said it on top of everyone. Uh, Will Lockwood is the guy that you'd like to see very soon. And he's a guy who can easily slide into a bottom six line for you. Doesn't really matter where he plays. He's also been able to, to throw a little bit of center at him this year. Not a ton, but uh, right now, like the top penalty killing unit, Going out is John Stevens and Will Lockwood in the AHL. They're out there first and like they get a second shift normally on each penalty kill. Like that's the thing that is going to get Lockwood to the NHL is if he can kill penalties. And right now he's being trusted as the number one guy to go out there in Abbotsford and kill penalties for you as a forward. And that's the other thing, too, where as the season kind of progresses and again, the Canucks aren't quite there yet because they still technically have a shot. But once it's looking more and more distant, as it pertains to the playoff race, you mentioned with the PK, you can start to experiment. You can start to see what you have in a Will Lockwood. You can start to see what you have uh, in Vasily Podkolzin, right? Because he's a sort of player to me where his tools... I see a future penalty killer in Vasily Podkolzin, right? I know a lot of people have talked about Nils Hoaglander. I don't see it in Hoaglander's defensive game personally, but I do see traits there with Podkolzin. And it's like Lockwood, Podkolzin. And obviously, you're not going to throw all rookies over the boards, but... um, when the games matter a little bit less, it's it's even beneficial just to like take a little bit off of someone like JT Miller's plate, right? Like this, Miller's played so many hard minutes playing center two, which is a lot more draining than playing wing. Uh, so I'm excited to, you know, obviously it'll it'll be kind of sad when the team when it's clear that the team's out of it. But on the bright side, the silver lining is you're going to be able to experiment. 
uh, with um, with a lot more. And I think that's what the Canucks weren't able to do as much of last season because you had a head coach of Travis Green who was still playing for his next contract. And so he, you know, he wasn't able to really, they didn't, they didn't really play old U Levy that much. They, they took a really long time to bring Joe Nagajewicz up. And well, that's the thing. I mean, you, you mentioned for his next contract that, didn't just mean with Vancouver. Travis Green was trying to put up a exactly. win-loss record that made other teams want to be like, oh, yeah, we could, you know, that win-loss record over the time with Vancouver looks pretty good. Exactly. So that's, I think, a luxury that hopefully Boudreaux will have at uh, at some point, if not if not later in February, then at least in uh, then March. Barring, of course, them going on an absolute heater and in, in, in getting back into the playoffs. I wouldn't mind that either. I just, I don't know how sure. realistic that is. Boys, it's time. Oh yeah, yeah, he shouldn't. He shouldn't have done that public knowledge. That's uh, that's a big no no. I don't know. You know, I, I can't really give the time and date, or else I feel like Nona's shoe will be flying across <laughs> North America, right and hit me in the head. We I think we spent half an hour talking about a backup goaltender. All right, get out of here, Woodley. All right, favors going to be favors going to be very pissed. So, you know, I don't like to say bad things about goaltenders. That's right, folks. It's time for goalie talk. The best intro in Vancouver podcast land. You've got to change our radio intro. Though. I know. I got to work on that. I've been so busy. You know, I'm working seven days a week. I know. It's crazy. Just at 650 on top of the other jobs that I'm doing right now. Driving me crazy. Yeah, I it's got tough. Super Bowl. Working the Super Bowl on Sunday. Nice. Even though we don't play the Super Bowl, I'm doing the like pre-up to the Super Bowl at Sportsnet. I don't know. Like you're on air? No, I'm just pressing the button to go to commercial and the button to come back, which is one of my favorite things to do at Sportsnet is the two-button job where you work for six hours and you press one button every 30 minutes, then one button after the commercial break, then every 30 minutes you press one button. It's exciting. Yep. That's why uh, you know people, they all want to get into sports media and work in radio, you know, for all this <laughs> double button pushing. <laughs> all right. I so. can't remember what I was going to say. Yaroslav Halak. Uh, so Jaroslav Halak, everybody has, knows about this bonus, the 10-game bonus, and also there's the $250,000 bonus if he gets a save percentage above 905. Don't look now, but I'm going to win that bet against Drance and J.D. Burke. If what is it right now? He's at 904 right now. Or 903, maybe. Yep. 903. And so not only will the Canucks not have to pay him that 250 grand, I will win a bet against Thomas Drance and J.D. Burke. I got a little Thomas Drance clip we could maybe run real quick. Actually, yeah, we could play. I, think I heard this. Heard this Tom. on the other. Ra- heard this on the radio the other day. I thought I should. You know, maybe this is something yeah. we could bring to uh, to air here, just so we could hear it real quick. Yeah, we've got time for a Tom clip. Um, right now, though, the thing that I want to say, as you kind of cue that up, Chris, is just that Yaroslav Halak's ten game bonus. It's ten starts, not ten games played. So obviously, he got the yank on Wednesday night in that game. That means that he has not played. He's not had 10 starts. So he hasn't hit that bonus yet. He's still at nine because he's had nine starts. So someone astutely pointed this out on Twitter. It will never happen. But someone pointed out if the Canucks just start Thatcher Demko and then at the first whistle put in Halak, they could they could theoretically have... That's bold. They could theoretically have Halak never hit that bonus yet still have him around and keep him as a goaltender. That's never going to happen. I've Never. I've talked to... Um, 
I've talked to people in the industry about what it would mean if the Canucks actually no. like pulled off some gymnastics to try to make him not hit that bonus. It's a horrible look that on the organization. Oh, really? Like, because I just saw, what did I see? Kucherov save all the like, cap space. No, but space. you're not screwing one of your players over. That's, that's, that's what you're doing. You're sticking it to yeah, a player. You, know he's signing, you, you signed that contract in good faith. Yeah. Yeah, I okay. mean, if I'm a free agent and if I see that going down with Halak, I'm going, screw that. I'm not signing in Vancouver. Yeah, why would you play for that organization? Jim Rutherford didn't sign the contract. <laughs> Cutthroat. Cut no, no, that's, no. that's not going to happen. As, as much as you would like it to, Chris, it's not going to happen. Just it's, saying. It's bad business. It's just bad business. Yeah, I know. I'm just, I'm, I'm joking here. I know that they're going to end up having to pay, but then you're going to try and trade that away anyways. Yeah, and they're not going to get any ass, especially if he plays like he did. On did the I? Night. I've seen people thinking that you can that you can trade Halak for like a third or a fourth. No. I think if you're giving, not, if you're giving a cap hit yeah. next year for him. Here's not the play. thing, though, and like this is maybe you guys can when you trade Halak this year, you have to hold on to fifty percent. I think that makes the deal more like okay for the other team to take. If you hold on to fifty percent, you're basically holding half of next year's bonus, anyways. So I, I think don't that's know some if you, of you can do that. Actually. Well, no, you're not holding the bonus. But what I'm saying is, you're holding this year. You hold half yeah, of the yeah. 1.5 million. Yeah. So that's 750 thousand. You hold on to that. You need to do that to try and make it possible to trade him to another mm-hmm. team because another team isn't going to want to take three million dollars worth of cap space over two years. You know who might be a suitor? Arizona, who's going to be trying to hit the cap floor? Arizona, Halak's never going to wave. Yeah. No, he's not. You're right. He's not going to wave. But Arizona would love to have that cap hit on their books next year. Like, if there's anything Arizona could use, it's a cap hit, but not have to actually pay a player. Like, that's what they could really use. Okay. One point five million dollar cap hit for Arizona. Who, like, I, I was looking at their list of free agents coming up. It's ridiculous how many players like. I, I do not know what what the Arizona Coyotes are going to look like next year. I am very interested to find out because, like, they have no players left. Everybody's everybody's going to walk, I think. Like, are they going to re-sign Louis, Roussel, Beagle? Like, are those guys all going to get re-signed? I don't think Phil Kessel's re-signing I'll tell you Arizona. who's coming up. You should know this, too. This little, uh, little Italian stallion down in the AHL. Have you heard about this uh, Michelli kid? No. You haven't heard about uh, Michelli? He's got 45 points. In 36 games for the Tucson Roadrunners. Little Italian background there. Rookie. Playing over a point per game. Where's I'd, he from? North Burnaby? Uh, sure. <laughs> sure. <laughs> okay. I watched him the other night. He looked good. He looked fast. That's great. And he's the only guy over a point per game on that Tucson team. Rookie. Wow. So it's like the Coyotes don't even have anything coming up. I mean, might should not do the Canucks, but whatever. Still, that's like... That's pretty sad. I, sad state of events in Arizona right now. Although, I, I think... Matias Michelli. Nice. Are you done? No, I'm trying to find uh, where he's from here. Give me a quick second. Take your time. I think we need to try to... all. We need to get all of our employers to pay for a trip to that ASU game. Well, you know what, as you soon m- as they play in ASU's building. Oh, oh it's going to be so rowdy. 5,000 people in like, close It's not going to be 5,000. It's going to be, I think, Freedom was saying between 3,200 and 4,000. <laughs> <laughs> I don't that's think like, he's Italian. Michelli, sorry, what are you guys talking about? <laughs> 4,000 seats, maybe, at oh. that ASU state. I was just going to say, that's as many seats as Eugene Melnick takes out of the Canadian Tire Center, like, every year. <laughs> God. So, I don't know if he's Italian or not. Okay, well, I think gone so he far was off born in Finland. This is, is goalie talk. Is there a lot of Italians in Finland? Uh, there could be. 
Close. He's boys. He played his t- played time in Finland. Fourth round pick. 98th overall. Why are we talking about this guy? I'm going to say he's point per game he's as a Italian rookie in the name. A. He's More Italian than a point last name. So 45 points in 36 games in the A as a rookie as a fourth round pick. 21 years old. I'd say who's playing for the Coyotes next year? Matthias Michelli. Okay. From Finland, not from Italy. Finland, not North Burnaby. Can I play the Drance clip now? Yeah, play it. This, this is, I couldn't believe when I heard this live okay. on Sportsnet 650 the other day. I was producing it. Canucks Hour. I'll be producing it in a couple minutes here. Couldn't believe that this came out of Drance's mouth. I like good hockey teams. I like good hockey teams. I want to cover it. The Maple Leafs. <laughs> Drance, Drance sounded like he had a lot of moisture in his mouth when he was getting that out there. You're saying, like, I want to cover good hockey teams. I tell you what, dude. I Okay, so I produced the show. And I so, like, I have headset in. I have everything really loud so I can hear everything going good. I cannot get over, like, the breath that Drance does. is like nobody's other breath on the show. It's very just, like, he says something and he's like... Hopefully that's not like bad in everyone's ears, but that's what I hear. I, I cannot like unhear it now. So every little breath that he takes is just like he does it so loud into the mic, and I it drives me wild. I can't listen to it. it gives me a headache listening to the show for an hour. I hope okay. I didn't ruin the Canucks hour for anyone else. No, at Drance, no, but. you definitely didn't. But before we close out here, I wanted to get to a Pod Colson comp that you had for us. You said you got a Pod Colson comp. Let's hear it, Harvey. Yeah, I've shared it before in, in written uh, in, uh, in in my writing, and this is more of like a long term sort of like player type. And I'm not saying these guys are exactly alike because there are definitely differences, but in terms of the role and and what Pod Colson's potential output and performance and and all those things could kind of look like. I think Bud Colson could really play a Zach Hyman type role as as a complimentary top six piece moving forward, and it, and it just strikes me because we've seen we've seen I think Bud Colson a lot more assertive and engaged on the forecheck. That's an area where he, where he is going to just get better and better at. He plays that that similar power forward style. He is excellent defensively and will probably grow into a penalty killer just like Hyman. And they're both similar in the sense that they're not dynamic play play drivers in the sense of they're not going to be the offensive engine of a top six line on their own. They don't, it's not as if they're going to be leading a ton of you know skates from the defensive zone all the way carrying it into the offensive zone single-handedly, but complementing high-end skill, knowing how to navigate the offensive zone and, and having that uh, having those offensive instincts to attack the soft spots in and around the net. Uh, finish a lot of those chances, create a lot of space for others. I think obviously there's differences where Hyman's a really fast skater, and I think Pod Colson's probably a better passer. But I think I see similar sort of like I could see Pod Colson ending up being like that. Where and, and this is why I think Pod Colson's such a unique player because yeah, he might not be 60, 70, 80 point guy down the line. But he brings so many other traits to the table with his power forward style. I think his physical uh, attributes as well. We're going to see him getting meaner and meaner. That's what I'm really looking forward to. When you play, when you saw Pod Colson in the K, this guy was a mean mofo. This guy would throw checks. This guy would get in your face. And kind of like you mentioned with with uh, with Lyndon Lockwood, just as you become more comfortable and as you become acclimated, 
you're going to have that confidence to really push other people's buttons. And we saw that a little bit against Arizona when he got into that tussle, even just with Jacob Chikrin. You're throwing the other team's top defenseman um, off, getting him pissed off. You know, he's, he's spending two minutes in the box. You know, little things like that. I think we're going to see him become even more assertive throwing his weight around. Uh, and that to me, let's say Pod Colson hypothetically can can become even, let's say, like a 50-point guy, but he is... Or he he brings excellent defensive value. He's a top end penalty killer. Um, he brings a ton of physical attributes. Um, he just dominates board battles. All those qualities, like that's a really really valuable player. Way more valuable than just the point totals would kind of, um, you know, suggest. You know, uh, he he his worth might be. And and so that's why I'm pretty, you know, I just thought Hyman kind of, I was just like, that's kind of similar to the way um, I see Hyman play as, as a top, as a complimentary top six piece. And um, so, yeah, I mean, it's just been, it's just been good to see him fit, especially with Hoglander and uh, Elias Pettersson recently as well. Well, I think you bring up a good point, right? Like Hyman has been able to play with Connor McDavid, also play with Austin Matthews. That's the same. Is that where you see the similarities of Pod Coles and where he's going to be able to play with skilled guys. Is that what you see? I think so. I think he's a smart enough player to do it, right? Yeah. Where if you look at a lot of his goals, they, you know, some of them have obviously been barred down from distance, but the other ones have been, like, I'm just struck. I think one of his best attributes is how he finds soft ice. And I think the goal that really stood out that way was, uh, I don't know if you guys remember the the goal against Columbus where Quinn Hughes was just unreal. Um, skated the puck around the net and meanwhile while everyone was looking at um, Quinn Hughes Pod Colson was able to find uh, open ice at the back door for an easy tap in and it's like you watch that goal and you go well that's just a tap and any player could have done that but no to be able to high kind of like conceal yourself not not get caught by the opposition not not catch their eye and then put yourself in that position being a spot where it's a clean passing lane for a player like Hughes like there's a lot more that that goes into um well it's basically like you see such a high level play from Quinn Hughes but to be able to think one step ahead on a high level play that takes some IQ 100% and that's why that's the exact sort of play where if you're playing with elite high end skill if you can be the kind of guy that just knows what's going to happen next and and you kind of have your stick on the ice it's it helps a lot there and then obviously with those other attributes like being able to retrieve pox do a lot of the dirty work for a line i think that's where um do a lot of the unsexy stuff like even things like back checking as the f3 and 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 being the more responsible and defensively i think that's why guys usually love playing with vasily pod colson um at least at lower levels and i think that's going to translate and the other thing too is again the canucks especially if they decide to move jt miller at some point they need more of that like toughness and that physicality up yeah. front, I think, and in a functional way, right? I'm not talking about guys that uh, this, this isn't 2000 anymore where you need a bunch of face punchers, but you need guys that can throw their weight around, win a lot of battles, be mean and hard to play against. Um, kind of like uh, Minnesota is a good example of it recently, or, or Washington, or obviously St. Louis when they won their cup. Pod Colson is that type of player, and as we've kind of seen in, in the KHL playoffs before, he's the type of player that I think would rise up um, in the postseason. Like we, we talked so much about playoff Jake and when Vertanen was around, I never saw it because Vertanen plays on the perimeter. But yeah. Colson though, he plays on the inside and we've seen it in how his production explodes in the playoffs. I'm even excited to see when the, when the chips are down, when, um, 
there's no space to play. I think Pod Colson is the type of player who still find a way to have success. I'm curious to get your guys' thoughts on this. When you look at like next year, I, I think we can, I don't know if we can assume, but I, I would assume that JT Miller won't be on this roster next year when the season starts. I would assume that Brock Besser will be. I will assume that Vasily Pod Coles will be. Niels Hoglander will be. Who's the number one winger do you think is going to play with Elias Pettersson? Because to me, it's Vasily Pod Coles. Like the way that we've seen them have yeah. success together, when you start next season, as much as we've seen Brock be PD's guy in the past, we haven't seen that this no, year. We no. haven't seen Brock be with Pettersson. So I'm wondering if there's, if you start the year next year and Pettersson's back to being your 1C. Which is the winger that you expect to see on his wing? Because for me, it's Pod Colson. Like Pod Colson is the guy that I expect to see on Patterson's I think, wing. I think it's. I think you're bang on. I think it's Pod Colson as well. I. I think it's hard to disagree. I mean, I think in a perfect world, people are like, "Oh, the lotto line finds it again." I think those days have almost. Those those are behind us. Like maybe there's a time when they get reunited and it works out, but. You can't bank on that. So maybe in a perfect world, yeah, it's JT Miller. Yeah, it's Brock Besser, but. I think right now with what we're looking at, I think it's Vasily Podkolzin. I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing either. Like I understand right now they're being deployed technically as a bottom six line, but if both of those players can kind of progress, and we've seen Elias Pettersson start to get it back, he says he's starting to feel like himself again, um, and Podkolzin takes that natural progression, if those guys can work together and be a solid duo, like that's found money for this team, right? Like. To have a line with Elias Pettersson where you don't need him to be with Brock Besser or JT Miller and he's effective, like that's a really good thing for this team to have. And it's something this team could have used a couple of years ago as well. I will say this, though. I think Pod Colson, long term, I like the fit. Uh, I spoke Pod Colson's praise there for about five minutes. But I think Pod Colson's going to have to show a step offensively before he you can really pencil him into that role for sure, especially because if... No, it's obviously an F, but if JT Miller does get moved, well, JT Miller has been your top line center. Yeah. And kind of like you mentioned quads, Patterson's line has been essentially a middle six one. And so if, Pat- if Patterson um, next season is back as your one C playing 19, 20, 21 minutes a night, well then pod, pod Colson is going to have to be ready to play at least 16, 17 minutes as well. And so will he be able to bring enough offense to justify that? I think that's where it'll be also interesting to see who the other winger is because I think I don't think Pod Colson can be your number two option on that line in terms of the second best player or the or the second or, or the best winger I should say. Right. You're gonna you're going to need to have another more established winger with Pedersen. Um and then Pod Colson maybe could function as the third guy on on that line. So you could see a Besser maybe being that, like Pod Colson, Pedersen, Besser to start next. Maybe year. something like that. I think that's the sort of dynamic where, like, that's how it would work. I don't think I don't think Pod Colson would be ready to be like a true first line driver, and he's the the second sort of go to guy behind Pedersen. Looking forward to it. I'm excited to see what Pod Colson do the rest of the year too. I think it, you know, the little glimpses where we see where he gets more comfortable. I'm excited to obviously see what he can do because I've seen him get comfortable at the KHL level and how much the effort level looks different than a lot of NHL nights. I, I want to see the effort level that I saw, you know, when when Scott went through that huge COVID problem and and Pod Colson was the only guy playing over 20 minutes a night. Well, you know, and being the captain of the team for that those run of games there, or what he did in the playoffs, like everyone obviously sees from the stat line what he did in the playoffs. But I think back to like 
when he was really relied upon to be a guy for Ska that that needed to play as the top line guy, he really brought it. So I'm excited to see him grow into that role in the NHL here, anyways. And he has that he's had that progression already as well, right? Like remember the guy we were looking at uh, in training camp and the start of the season, right? And how oh, different yeah. it looks now, right? So that progression is going to continue. All right, we'll close it out there. Uh, I don't think either of you have anything else to add, so I'll just close it out here. Do you have anything? No, nope, we'll be back uh, Tuesday. Tuesday we're doing our next show. We're not we're not going to these Thursday freaking you know yeah, Sunday episodes yeah. whatever the heck's going on. We're back in order. The, weird with the Canuck schedule here, but uh, yeah, yeah Tuesday schedule, we'll you be and back. I going to Edmonton, all that stuff. Yeah, it was a weird little time, but we'll be back. We'll be back on Tuesday. What's up with uh, the vlog? You ever get the vlog put together there? No, I tried no. to do it on the plane, yeah. and it wouldn't let me. I didn't have iMovie on my phone, and then mm. I just kind of forgot. So okay. I'll get on that. Uh, we'll get that up on the Patreon, patreon.com slash CanucksConvo, 5 and $10 here. Gets you all the bonus content, including our vlog from Edmonton. So for my co-host, Chris Faber, and Harmon Dial, my name is David Quadrelli. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Canucks Conversation. Thanks for listening to Canucks Conversation. Delivered by DoorDash. Hit the subscribe button to never miss an episode. How about keep it to a thank you, Jim? Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.